0: Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X Studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour or so, we'll be talking project management with our special guest. Before we jump into the show, a couple announcements, as we do always for every episode. Boy, September is a busy month. There's a lot of events going on right now. On September 20th, the PMO Impact Summit from Laura Bernard is out there. Its registration is free. You can go out to PMOImpactSummit.com. This is a fantastic uh, conference that Laura puts on every year, and there's a great opportunity to hear from PMO leaders and all the key areas that you need to build a successful PMO. I'll be participating again for the third year, and uh, this year I'll be talking stakeholder engagement. In an interview-type discussion with Laura. So head out to PMOImpactSummit.com and sign up for that. The next day, September 21st, PlanView Accelerate Conference. It's the uh, PMO squad is proud to be partners with PlanView, and this year we're a sponsor for the 2021 Accelerate event. This is the first year that PlanView is opening up their user conference to non-customers. So if you're interested in PlanView and their products and services, head over to uh, that. It's it's a very long URL to give to register for that. So I'll just say go Google the 2021 PlanView Accelerate Conference. Uh, If you recall earlier this year, they purchased Clarison and ChangePoint. So PlanView is bigger than ever with lots of different solutions to meet your needs. Head out to that event and then head over to the PMO Squad booth. Love to talk to you about the project management journey and see where you are in your journey. Lastly, the Arizona State University Project Management Summit is back again this year on September 29th. This is another free event to register. You can have, again, another long URL. These will be in the show notes, but you can do a Google search on ASU PM Summit to get the registration. For this event, I'm proud to be partners with them with our nonprofit organization, VPMMA. The Veteran Project Manager Mentoring Alliance, which helps veterans transition into the civilian workforce, Uh, and we've helped them organize and plan a track geared to veterans, including Dr. Gerald Lowe, who is the Director of Operations at Arlington National Cemetery, Carl Haskins uh, as the Chief Executive Officer at White Lotus, uh, and he had served 25 years in Special Forces for the U.S. Army, Michelle Leposki who is director at the ASU Pat Tillman Veteran Center, uh, and Marcus Dennett Dale, who is a citizen of Navajo Nation uh, and also a U.S. Air Force veteran. In addition to the veterans track, of course, they cover all range of project management topics. Uh, keynotes this year will be from Randy Black from PMI and Mae Bush, and then some of our uh, favorite fans and guests on our show, Rich Maltzman, Billy Muape, Elizabeth Heron. Kim Watson and many others are going to be presenting at that event. So that is a lineup of uh, great events coming up that are uh, out there. We'll have them in the show notes. Be sure to go out and check them out. Also, I want to thank our sponsors, PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. Go out to their website to learn more about the services they offer. We've got our special guest with us. I am so happy to have with us Marissa Silva. Hello, Marissa.
1: Hi, Joe. Welcome to and thank you for having me. It's my first time on a radio show, so quite excited and honored to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, it's completely my pleasure. And uh, if you could just take a moment to say hello to the audience and introduce yourself to them so they can learn sure. a little bit more about you. If they don't know you, they probably do, but just in case they don't.
1: Well, hello, everyone. My name is Marisa Silva, also known as the lucky PM out there in the project management industry. I'm a senior consultant with a company called Wellington. I'm also a trainer with them. And uh, I see myself as an educator, um, an advisor in project management. And I'm also um, a speaker in project management conferences. Um, More useful things for you to know about me. I wrote a book about project management. It's called Bedtime Stories for Project Managers. It combines uh, fairy tales with project management concepts. So keeping the stories uh, alive. And um, also, I'm studying project management. (laughs) So I did a a master's degree in project management, and I'm currently doing a PhD in project management. So as I like to say, I think I kind of like projects.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, let's talk project management. Um, Let's start with the most obvious question. I think everybody who is out there, as you mentioned, you're the lucky PM. Why are you the lucky PM, right? Where does that come from? It's a great tagline, but where does that? What's the origin story behind that?
1: Well, there are many reasons. I think that um, the first one, or the, the more personal to me, is that I really feel lucky. I do work in a in a role that I like, in a profession that I love, and also um, the clients that I work with, the teams that I work with, uh, they are all fantastic. So I've been very lucky in my journey then um, there's this saying that uh, goes, um, there are no uh, good project managers, only lucky ones. The more you plan, the luckier you get. Nice. <laughs> as simple as that. And I think that in general, we tend to overlook the role that luck can play in our lives. Of course, effort, commitment, persistence, consistency as well is important. But if sometimes it's just about being in the right place at the right time. And that can make a difference. So I think that um, chance, uh, that 70PT, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, something that, that we should pay more attention to. And finally, uh, well, the lazy PM was already taken. So, uh, like <laughs> <lucky> you're lazy.
0: <laughs> well, it, it's interesting you say that because the you're not lazy, right? Uh, you just mentioned <laughs> you're, you're going, you have your master's degree and now a PhD. So you're trying to i guess minimize the amount of chance as possible because you're becoming as educated in the topic as you can but we can't we can't educate the unknown right i mean there's still going to be variability there
1: sure you don't know what you don't know so i think that for me it was um, a personal quest to try to find more about this um, area of study so not the practice which i already already got but then, oh, and so I'm currently acting as a consultant, as I mentioned, as a trainer, so I'm, I have a wide exposure to uh, other, a lot of others are doing project management. But for me, it was also about understanding the theoretical pillars for project management. How did we came to to know project management as it is now? And then what's the evolution of, this, of that area um, as well? So it is it has been very interesting uh, in that sense uh, to see that it is uh, still in, uh, discipline in, in its infancy and um, that there is uh, some critics around uh, the fact that it's too much delivery oriented, that we should consider the wider role of projects and project managers. so the social and sustainability role of projects as well. Um, so it has opened my, it, it has opened um, my, my mind and also gave me more um, more facts to explore.
0: You know, some, as you were speaking, something popped into my mind. We had Dr. Harold Kirzner on the show, I think it was in our first season, and we were talking about education uh, with project management, and, and he brought up the challenge he felt where project management wasn't yet accepted in universities broadly mm-hmm. was who was going to teach it, right? Because the the profession hasn't been around that long, mm-hmm. and there really aren't as many you know, we'll say educators in the topic, right? So now that you're pursuing this PhD, right? It triggered a thought: My, who's teaching a PhD in project management? How do how does that come together for you?
1: Uh, so uh, I'm studying at Alma Mater Europae, so that's a university in Slovenia, um, with branches uh, in other places. But the one that I'm studying in is in Slovenia, and the um, the PhD it's intended for practitioners. So, even the teachers, they do have a practitioner role as well. And then, of course, someone needs to start um, somewhere when it comes to project management. So, we look, for instance, into the critical studies, how it started in the engineering world as well, and how it advanced from, from it. And so, I think that when it comes to education, it's interesting the question that you asked there, Joe, because uh, the, the linkage between education and also the profession, I think it's an important one. Um, as we are saying, who is educating the PMs? Is it enough for us to have a certification? Should we consider something more? And then if project management is a skill that is useful to everyone, then what is special about the project management profession? What makes a professional if project management is for everyone and for anyone? Um, so everyone can have a certification and claim to be a project manager. How does that make us a specialist in project management? I think that's a question that um, that we should be asking ourselves in the industry, even that um, it's important that we advocate project management as competency for all, but in the same way as we do learn mathematics at school, it doesn't make me a mathematician, so the same logic would apply, I guess.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, it's a, certainly a healthy, ongoing discussion and debate uh, out there in the industry, and I don't know if we even have to answer that, right? Maybe it's a, one of those that's okay to be two school of thoughts because the people who want to just know math or just know project management, the accidental PMs out there, mm-hmm. it's okay to have them. And then sure, at the sure. same time, there can be people like accountants who use mm-hmm. math in a specific way to, to do a specific function.
1: Exactly. That yes. we, yeah, we can
0: be specialists and use that general knowledge in a more specific way to. To lead the higher priority, the more influential projects, and leave the maybe less demanding projects to the accidental PMs who are out there just doing what's kind of standard project management.
1: Sure, it's not about creating those uh, barriers to uh, to entry in the profession, but more to understand what the profession really is about. Are we either, uh, is project management the profession, or are we just professionals with <laughs> uh, with some enthusiasm about project management? So more around that. And then, of course, the role of the other actors in in projects as well, Uh, something that amazes me still, is around the role of sponsors, for instance. Mm -hmm. Sponsors, they are the ones making the decisions on projects, and yet they are the ones that have less education on the project management language, for instance. Mm -hmm. So we are asking them to make decisions on things that they may not really understand or make a sense of what that impact will be. And there are so many courses, certification, uh, even education programs that are just uh, starting to appear for project managers, but not that much for other roles as the role of the sponsor. So certainly something that, uh, that as a, an industry, again, I think we could uh, maybe um, have a look at. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, so let's go back in time. At some point, you decided to become a project manager, or maybe you you fell into that career path. But how, What's the Marissa Silva story, right? How do how do you start out as your your project management journey and your path to becoming the Lucky PM?
1: Mm-hmm. For me, I would say that it was, um, in some respect, a conscious decision. Of course, I didn't start um, as a project manager right away. So when I left uh, college, I have a degree in uh, management. I did start as um, almost as a PA, but also with um, a role on um uh, doing the, the financials, payrolls, invoicing, and so on, so on. And I remember that my first contact with project management, I didn't realize that at the time, but then in the inside, it's, it's still funny, was when uh, my manager asked me to start filling time sheets. And <laughs> I didn't understand why, why does she need to know what I'm doing, Does she trust me, all that, not realizing the importance of time sheets, for instance, for efficiency purposes, to see how the time is being spent, if the resources are well located and so on. So that was my first ever contact with project management outside university. Then um, I saw an ad for a consultancy role in project management. uh, And I was reading that. I was not that, um, uh, how to say, uh, as enthusiastic in my current role as a PA as uh, when I started. So it started to feel very limited (laughs) to to my to my abilities, and I looked into that ad, and it seemed the right thing to do. So I then went to to apply. I was selected. I feel very privileged again, very lucky to have been part of that company and of that um, being part of the life of the, those people who were my mentors, um, because I think that was really a, a very solid start to my journey. Uh, we had intensive training, three months of training. We had uh, coaching, um, and this was about 12 years ago. So and for some PMOs, they are starting coaching as a function now. And in that company, that was already established. Um, so it was, um, I felt very supported. I may be wrong, but I thought, I, I think that I've learned from the best, at least in Portugal at the time. So that was um, really positive. And from there... I then just um, went involved with other projects. Uh, so uh, working with different uh, organizations were our clients. And working consultancy, you learn so, so much faster than perhaps you if you were in a more permanent organization. So uh, working there in that environment really gave me the, the driver for, for more, for studying more, for knowing more on, uh, on how projects work. From there, I stayed um, in that company for... Well, maybe uh, two, three years, and I'm moving to another consulting company also with the same uh, the same group of people. And um, in 2013, I decided that I wanted to have a more international career and I went to, to the UK. Uh, in fact, I was very lucky again because I haven't mentioned this to my company in Portugal. They say, okay, you want to go? We go with you. You're not going to go alone. We believe. In your in your uh, abilities, we know what you are capable of. Why not expand to another country? Let's see what you can do. Uh, The problem was that it was just me there trying (laughs) trying to sell the idea of a Portuguese consulting company in the UK, uh, pretty much on my own. So after about uh, nine months, realized that that wasn't working, and I said it's now time to uh, to set me free for me to to find my own path. So it was a very um, sad moment for all, I think, but uh, we are still. We still keep very close. Um, and since then, I then uh, applied to Oxford University Press. So that was my first experience in the UK for real, without the support of this Portuguese consulting company that I was working for at the time. It was a magnificent experience. And uh, again, I was very lucky to have the manager that I had. Um, she's terrific with stakeholder engagement, for instance, I learned a lot there. And how to build relationships to get that buy for establishing and advancing your PMO. Uh, so we had um, a very good support uh, for, for that department. And then I was head um, entered pretty much for um, world where I've been for the past five years now. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, it's an amazing the journeys that we go on. I, I think everyone we've talked to on the show. I, I don't think we've ever had a guest yet who said, I went to college to become a project manager, right? It, but I'm wondering, is that changing, right? Because yours was 12 plus years ago. Mine was longer than that. And, and it wasn't even a, an option, right? There weren't coursework yet for project management.
1: Yes, but, you, but the universities so. are adding that
0: now, right? I mean, now it's becoming an option.
1: Yes. And we do now have apprenticeships in project management, So there's a a career path for it more and more established. And I would even argue for PMOs now, which is fantastic to see. Um, When I started, the PMO was still an entry route for a project management role. Nowadays, what I see is often the opposite. People were doing project management and now want to be more involved with PMOs. So quite fantastic to see the industry evolving and also to be driving or being part of it.
0: Yeah, and, and kind of the, the end point of that story is this year, you were, you're now a finalist, right, for PMO yes. Influencer okay. of the Year. So you start out with your, your PA role, and then you move into additional roles beyond that. And then you're acknowledged within the industry from the PMO Global Alliance as one of the most influential people out there. How, how does that feel?
1: Uh, it feels amazing. It was a, a total surprise. So um, people, you are nominated. It's not something that you apply for. Um, and for me, it's 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 so strange and so fantastic at the same time. Uh, my parents, they are farmers. I, I live growing cabbages, and now I'm being recognized by my peers on the area that I work. So uh, being in the same group as Philip, uh, the same group as Bill, Laura, it's it's amazing. They were for, for having my role models. So to be involved in, in that same group, it's, it's, it's such an honor. And I was asked the other day, after the, the announcement came out, I was asked uh, by someone on LinkedIn, how can I become an influencer? I want to. <laughs> I said, I have no idea. I, I just love what I do. I like to share my stories. I like to communicate with my networks. And so about sharing and learning. Um, I don't know if there's any trick there. At least I have never thought of becoming an influencer. I think that just happened. Yeah and, and,
0: <laughs> yeah, and congratulations to to you. And as yeah. you mentioned, Philippe and Laura and Bill. We haven't had Philippe on the show yet, but we've had Bill and Laura on. And of course, I was the top 15 two years in a row. Now I got to be able to break through and make it to the finals one of these years. You uh, are
1: an influencer, Joe. Definitely. No doubt
0: there. <laughs> uh, who? It, it's kind of just the validation to your point of, we don't try to get that, right? It just happens. So it's nice to see in your industry and through your peers that there's a confirmation for what you're doing. People are are receptive to, and that's what I think is is what that means.
1: Yes, it's it's, it's it is the recognition that what you are doing is right, uh, or at least that people feel it's right that you are um, helping the community to grow, that um, you are an active part of that industry. So that uh, that recognition, for me, it makes it worthwhile. Well.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I like what you do out on on LinkedIn probably not the right word for this but it's kind of these doodles right these uh creative ways to express thought in like a cartoon or a comic right it's it's (laughs) not a (laughs) yeah what how what's how did that come from where is that all about because i love just seeing that because i know it's a fresh creative take on a on a good solid thought so what's the how where'd that come from
1: no conscious decision there. There was a time where I, I do speak at conferences, as I mentioned, and I do like to use cartoons, images, because I do think that pictures do tell a good story. And sometimes they are worth, how do they say, it's worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found one day a, a nice cartoon. I published it, people reacted to it. And then I thought, okay, let's let's see how this works, uh, because I do have other cartoons. I think that would be funny for to have that, that provoking thought there, because some of them are quite are quite uh, ironic or um, satirical. So, seeing how people react, it's my my trigger for publishing those um, those uh, cartoons on Fridays. And sometimes people are quite emotional about it, and then I just think it's just humor. <laughs> <laughs> it's just for a happy Friday, just to put a smile on your face. I don't, I'm not trying to lecture anyone on <laughs> project management, just to have a healthy discussion. Um, so, I do get very mixed responses sometimes, depending on the subject. That the cartoon is about. Tomorrow is going to be about the role of the project manager. So Oh, look at that. Sneak <laughs> peek,
0: everybody. <laughs> well, what I <clears throat> what I like about that is this is how you're an influencer, right? Because you're finding a way to communicate within the industry that's it's more receptive, right? You say people get emotional about that because they can connect personally.
1: Exactly. Right. Yes, and exactly. and that's
0: what we need exactly. to be able to do. And you know, you mentioned something just a moment ago about how you grew up uh, the daughter of farmers. And we had a, we had a prior guest on Karsten Lay, who from Germany, and same thing. He grew up low income farm family, and just recognized that wasn't for him. And now he he runs Asia PMO out of Vietnam. Right after stops in in Mexico <laughs> exactly. and 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 other and elsewhere. So and you had this itch for this international, right? I want to leave Portugal and I want to be more. In, so what was that like, right? For the, everyone, this is the, this is why I do this show, right? To get into these insights. To say, because there's some other project manager out there, maybe in Portugal, maybe in Brazil, maybe in Israel, they could be anywhere. And they're thinking about, I want to do more. Right? What was that like for you? And how did you have the courage to be able to go do that?
1: Oh, courage. Um, there, there's sometimes a view that people that move to other countries, they are very brave and so on. Sometimes they are, but it's not like in the 60s, for instance, in Portugal, where people had to go at night, no one, uh, no one seeing them, and uh, without any papers and so on. Uh, fortunately, um, at least in uh, in, in the EU, uh, we do live um, without those those barriers. So um, I wouldn't say it's scary; uh, it's it's a matter of knowing what you want and go after it, having that that vision of what you want to become, and just pursuing it. So for me, um, I always had. Or at least my parents tell me that I always talked about living in the UK or traveling. Um, so it seems like there, there always had been that, um, that that motivation, um, even if it was not fully uh, conscious for me. And then uh, after having worked in, um, in Portugal in that consulting company with other clients, and some of them were having international projects. So one of my, uh, at that moment, one of my biggest um, roles or perhaps more challenging one was uh, being in part of a a program management office for um, an international program where we were representing the Portuguese branch together with another seven countries. Um, And that program was fully run in French and English. I do have uh, broken English, (laughs) as you may noticed, but still... That um, that um, that was an amazing experience. It allowed me to to see that despite my broken English, despite um, being in a humble uh, start, that um, everyone was able to connect in the same way and uh, to, to have the same challenges on projects, to have the same challenges on engaging stakeholders, on passing a message. So that was my first real international experience. Uh, fortunately, in that case, the, the, the Portuguese branch, I think we did an amazing work there. Uh, we were recognized also for that work by the other peers that were part of the program. So we're pretty much leading away. And then that just gave me the reassurance to say, yes, I can do this. Let's now try do this in another scale. So um, then I just um, started the conversations with my company saying that that's what I wanted to do. And in reality, that was easier than having the conversation with my family. <laughs> so so um, that required a bit more conversations, a bit more discussions. And then, of course, there's always that concern, at least for my parents, that uh, I'll be there on my on my own, alone, no friends, sleeping under, under the bridge and not telling them <laughs> the truth, <laughs> things like that. So fortunately, it was not that way, and um, I had an amazing experience. In fact, I'm still connected to, to the UK and currently I'm based in Portugal. So I moved back, um, in March, April, 2020 when the pandemic hit. And since then I haven't had to return to, to the UK because, well, everyone is still trying to find out <laughs> how the new, um, the new normal is going to be. Um, but of course, my working relationships are still in the, in the UK. Um, so, uh, Having that international experience and keeping that international experience was uh, quite important for me. Now, that was definitely from a consulting and training perspective. But then I also started to apply for conferences, to uh, speak in conferences, to write papers, um, articles for blogs, also involved with other volunteer organizations, not just in Portugal and in the UK, like the APM, but also um, more global ones. Like project managers without borders, or project managers against poverty. So I try to to reach more and to to confirm that indeed, despite where you are in the world, we are experiencing the same challenges. We all have the same type of stories. Sorry, long answer. No, that's
0: that's okay because you know you said um, there's context to courage, right? And and certainly people who are leaving for political reasons or economic reasons. Sure. that It's a different level of courage. But
1: exactly. just
0: like your parents were concerned about, hey, are you going to be sleeping under a bridge and are you going to be okay? That's courage, right? To be able to leave what was comfort, comfortable and, and go into the unknown, uh, oh, whether okay. that's a different country or a different company or a different role within an existing company, right? That, that takes courage. And I think uh, a lot of people, even public speaking, right, you know, to be a speaker uh, takes courage. So I think a lot of people yeah. want to hear that others have been able to, to take that step and be successful. And, I th- and, you know, we were chatting before the show, right, we're, we're digital assets on social media, and, and uh, yeah. we don't get to have people learn about what we've done. So mm-hmm, to, to mm-hmm. actually hear your story and hear how you took that chance to move on, I think, means something to people, and I think that people will benefit from that.
1: Thank you, Joe, and uh, I, f- I fully agree on uh, that courage being contextual. Of course, what's courage, the courage uh, that was required for me to make that move was probably the courage just to speak to my parents about that and anything, but, <laughs> but others uh, certainly are in different circumstances, and that should definitely be appreciated. Mm-hmm.
0: So you've, you've mentioned Wellington a couple of times, right? That's where you're currently working. Help us mm-hmm. uh, understand a little bit more about them and the type of company they are and and um, just to, to learn how they're making an impact, right? They're influencing within the industry as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So um, Wellington, they are based in the UK, so based in Windsor. They also have offices in Spain and in Ireland. And they are a specialist project management consulting company. So uh, we also work, we do do uh, pure project management consulting, like setting up PMOs, maturing PMOs, developing project management methods, running maturity assessments. Then we do training aligned with the APM, the Association for Project Management in the UK. And we have developed niche courses or specialist courses, actually. That's actually something that I'm very proud of, one of them being the PMO practitioner, PMO leader, or the assurance courses. Um, so something that I think is revolutionary and I don't think there's anything like it out there, at least that I'm aware of, or the way that we have created that course. And then also uh, we do the technology side. So covering pretty much all the enablers for successful project management, the methods, the capability, and then also the tools to support it. They are a fantastic company to work with uh, or to work for. I'm not sure what's the right <laughs> word there. It feels like, like a company, uh, sorry, like a family. Uh, so if I just want, if I have any concern, I can go straight to my managing director. There are no, um, no barriers there. And, and that was perhaps one of the most, the biggest cultural differences when I started in, uh, internationally. I mean, because in Portugal, there are so many barriers, so many steps <laughs> to go in the hierarchy if you want to, to pass your message across. There are um, what all, we call it here doctors and engineers. So everyone has a title, and if you don't go to the title, you need to go to the PA first and so on. So um, in the UK, and certainly other countries, that uh, that was different. And um, for me, it was quite a shock <laughs> in the beginning. Uh, but then I adopted them at Wellington. That's definitely a very flat organization where if we have any, any, um, anything that's upsetting us, we can just discuss it as a panel. So, Quite lucky
0: once again to work there. How about just the way projects and PMOs work across different countries and geographies? Right? Is that you know we've had guests from all over the world come on and they explain how PMOs operate there and the cultural components certainly which are different and everything within the states. Right? We always think we do things the best over here, but the reality is we're I think we're way behind the PMO journey. For mm-hmm. other countries, right? I mean, compared to the UK, PMOs aren't as accepted over here. There, I think we have a long way to go. So, what have you? What's your perspective, right, on having the opportunity to be in an international setting with the way PMOs and project management differs across regions?
1: Um, it's interesting that you asked that question because another shock uh, was when I started to realize that. Um, organizations were not as mature in the UK as I would expect them, compared with the experience that I already had in Portugal. Like for instance, um, I learned earned value management and most of the organizations that I was working with in Portugal, their PMOs would know what I'm talking about when I refer to earned value and others. And um, in the UK, in my experience so far we have worked with two three companies who knew what that um, uh, that uh, tool was. Um, so that was quite quite uh, intriguing. Then another thing that I would like to, to highlight there is um, in Portugal um, it's much more bureaucratic uh, so even the way how we do project management, I'm doing a parallel project. I do have several projects outside my day-to-day work, which makes, it, makes me <laughs> busy as well, but nevertheless, which is something called Voices of Project Management in Portugal. So it's, um, uh, it's at the moment, it's not a book yet. It's uh, a movement, let's say, where I'm meeting, or I'm gathering the views of several project management practitioners, academics, and others in Portugal, that want to share their view of what is project management, what's different about doing project management in Portugal. So uh, quite timely that you're asking that that question about the cultural differences. And in Portugal, we do have something um, that is sometimes known as uh, a trait by other other, uh, uh, countries, which is our ability to be flexible, to to do some bricolage if needed, uh, to solve it at the last minute without much preparation. So improvisation, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Portugal we call it desenroscans. <laughs> <laughs> you can try. you <laughs> new Portuguese word, desenroscans.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll wait for uh, after the show to give that one a try. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Uh, no, but uh, that ability all around improvisation, I think it's one that we do value, but one can also argue that that's not proper risk management being applied there. So leave it to the very end until we find a solution. Of course, we do value that flexibility, but at the same time, one can um, can challenge if if there's there are better ways. Um so the, I would I like that that difference there. And then the bureaucracy um compared again, again, just based on my experience, comparing the UK with Portugal. Um, in Portugal, everything is much more bureaucratic. If you want to present, say a um, quality assurance report, a health check on a project. It needs, if it doesn't have 100 pages, people will probably not read it. They wouldn't take it seriously. <laughs> In the UK, it's pretty much the opposite. Show me what are the key concerns, what we need to do, and let's work on it. So, um, but with, apart from those details, I would say that the challenges remain the same, though. We have um, poor visibility of what's the status of projects, poor engagement, um, also. Um, Our uh, usual delays on project efficiencies being being, uh, applied in the organizations, which, um, well, keeps me me busy. That's that's my job. Uh, But at the same time, I think that organizations, they always think that they are different. But working as a consultant and having that international experience, I think we are very much alike.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned that. Uh, we, you know, The PMO squad, my, my company, we're similar to Wellington, right? We do similar things. Um, and almost every client says, well, we need a consultant to come in that has industry experience. And I said, well, you're mm-hmm. not hiring us for the industry experience, right? You're hiring us for the project management experience. Mm-hmm. They all Sorry. think their company and their industry is unique, but the reality is the project management challenges are common across those industries. Do you experience those same things?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and often they already have the answers. Um, they are just not utilizing their tacit knowledge. They are not listening to the ones that are uh, on the field actually running projects. <clears throat> There's this view of the what do you call it the ignorance pyramid, where um, at the top people don't have the view of what's happening on the, on the, on the lower levels. So the message doesn't flow uh, as it could, um, and sometimes. What I see is that when we as consultants go uh, to do our uh, our job and to provide our recommendations, to highlight what, what our findings are and so on, uh, it's not something that is new, but it gives them the case for change that they were missing internally. So it's almost like um, reassurance and also having that, uh, that ability to speak the truth to power that sometimes the organisations um, or people in those organisations don't have.
0: So obviously lots of wisdom, lots of experience, international and uh, different cultures. So someone who's just starting out, right, uh, a new graduate or somebody that's getting into the profession, what's what's the advice that you would give to them?
1: Work on relationships. That would be my, my key advice. I remember that when I started in uh, my role as a PMO officer at the time, so I was um, supporting um, the Portuguese team as well as the Spanish team on um, that consulting company that I started with. And I remember that I had um, all the support from the C-level. Uh, they were backing any of all of my decisions. They were saying the PMO is the, the entity that you need to, uh, to report to, and you need to do what they are asking to do and so on. Um, so I had all the power that I needed to complete my job. Yet. I didn't have any, any meaningful relationships with the ones that I was supporting. I didn't see at the time the PMO as a service. Well, it was my first, my first activity as a PMO, so excuse that as my excuse. But uh, indeed, I learned a lot from that role, and one of the key things is that you need to build the relationships. The rest will then happen. It's about co-creating the, the PMO, putting people as part of that journey, taking on the journey with you, and then also um hearing what they have to say. Um, Something that I've learned in that same company was that no one destroys what one helps to build. So if people are part of it, they are less uh, resistant and they will um, be sincere in their effort. Um, I remember that it's just an episode there. Completing time sheets was very important for us at the time. Why? Because that was connected to um, uh, to the invoicing system uh, and as a consultant, we need to identify what's billable work, what's available, and so on. And the, um, the view at the time was that everyone had complete time sheets unless you are in the hospital. That was, <laughs> that was the exception. And they um, they were they had there they was skin in the game there because uh, if people didn't complete their time sheets, that was going to impact on part of their salary every month. So there was uh, a financial incentive to do that. So um, that also led um, again, the role of the PMO to be one of control um, rather than supportive. And uh, I think that by the end the C level was very happy with the results, but I was pretty much the most taken person <laughs> in the project management community.
0: Yeah, so relation-
1: building those relationships. that's key.
0: Yeah, relationships and and uh, and what's your thoughts also on the soft skills, right? Because a moment ago you mentioned earned value, and companies don't mm-hmm. necessarily didn't know that, and so the technical skills we can teach you, right? I mean, those mm-hmm. are things that can be taught, but a lot of times individuals struggle with the soft skills, the relationship building, the motivation, the influencing.
1: Mm-hmm. And the soft skills are the hard ones. <laughs> <Yeah. More
0: enough. laughs> so where should we focus, right? I mean, because again, in a university setting, again, I haven't taken any project management courses at a university, so I'm making some assumptions here. But they probably teach the technical skills. Are they,
1: they do, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, with some critical thinking behind it as well. So, not taking things for granted, uh, seeing other alternatives, and trying to find what are the weaknesses and the the strength points of each of those theories that support project management, that support those tools. But answering your question, I think that the soft skills are the ones that we should be focusing on. And those are the ones that you cannot learn on a textbook. Those are the ones that you need experience uh, to to practice those soft skills. Uh, In particular, I do think that uh, emotional intelligence. And empathy, uh, coming back to the creating relationships um, topic that I was mentioning, I think those are the ones that um, that should be in the toolkit of every project, any project manager. So, of course, we can also refer back to uh, leadership, to communication skills. Those are definitely important in order for you to, uh, to be uh, effective on your role. But I would say that uh, if you do have a team to support you, then the rest will just fall.
0: No, everybody, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody always wants to try to predict the future, right? Uh, hey, uh, this is the new trend that's coming. We've been hearing AI now for three, four, five years and, and maybe the next three, four, five years as well, but it's still not here, right? I mean, it's it's getting here, but we're not there. So what's in your crystal ball of the future for PMOs, what do you see? <laughs>
1: In my first of all, <laughs> I see a bright future for PMOs. Yes, Many PMOs are much more um, respected, where they are seen as a business, um, sorry, a value business partner. Where people come to the PMO with open arms and say, "Do come and help us, uh, do assist us, because we do value your work." So, um, now jokes aside, I think that uh, the PMO will have a more strategic role. Uh, in the way that more and more we are involved in the portfolio management side, selecting the right projects. Project management, I would argue that it's becoming more established as a discipline. Now the next level would be to look into how we are running our programs and our portfolios. So identifying um, the appropriate uh, projects to run, the ones that provide the right balance of risk, resources, uh, return as well, and uh, prioritizing those is something that the PMO can support and even scanning the horizon for new opportunities. So not being so much involved in delivery and performance tracking, but more and more in uh, assisting uh, in the identification of those opportunities and in the definition of the portfolio. In the same way, uh, using the predictive word, I think that uh, that's also an area that PMOs will explore. So not uh, being reactive, uh, for instance, conducting health checks, uh, tracking status reports and so on, but doing more and more predictive analysis with the information that we have, what can we expect for this project and even uh, for the for the organization through um, uh, scanning of the horizon. So doing some scenario planning as well would be an area where I see PMOs um, starting to, to be involved. Then in addition to that, I would argue that the capability side is one that uh, I see more PMOs involved nowadays and I think it is a growing area. So this has to do with the the, the acknowledgement that uh, project managers do know their stuff. Uh, So they will have a toolkit to rely on and to to use. They should be uh, knowledgeable of the various tools that are available out there. But then the PMO can support that journey. So advice on what is the most appropriate tool to use for this particular context. So relying on previous lessons, um, previous, uh, previous projects, sorry, Um, identifying what were those lessons, those risks, those estimates, and then being the integrator of all that information to support the project managers. So on that capability side, advising on the tools, also supporting the the career path of the project managers by performing coaching, I think that's where PMOs will evolve to. And I do agree with Colin Ellis on, on this one. Uh, I do think that PMOs must uh, grow or they must go. And uh, that value is definitely going to be assessed by the organizations. Those are the judges of what the PMO value is.
0: Yeah. And I, you've mentioned journey a couple of times, right? Because a lot of organizations think, hey, we've had our PMO for two years. I don't understand why we're not generating value out of it. Um, but at the same time, the sponsors are disconnected. The stakeholders aren't participating portfolio decisions aren't being made right it's it's an organizational maturation process right it mm-hmm. it takes yes, years to get to that point
1: exactly exactly it is indeed a journey and uh, sometimes it's just a start that is the wrong one and um, so just because I read on a book that having a PMO is a good idea or because an audit said so that's not I would argue an, not a solid reason to have a PMO that reason needs to come from within the organization and the, the, the PMO itself needs to capture what's the perception of value from the different, the different customers of the PMO. So understanding the PMO as a service with customers and as we would do in any other business, let's hear what our customers want from the PMO. Then you build the PMO, then you can show value. If you do it the other way around, it's just uh, it's a much difficult selling to do. You have this great idea and then you have to convince everyone that that was a great idea, and those are the services that we now want to want you to um, to be involved in. It can work, but it's much, much more difficult.
0: Yeah, that's, that's kind of the premise behind our purpose-driven PMO, right? Start with why you exist, then deal exactly. with what and how. But too often, exactly. PMO leaders, because again, there's no school for PMO leaders, right? There isn't a way to, it's the good PM who got promoted to become a PMO manager, but never got trained on how to run a department or manage a team.
1: There are courses, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I wonder if anybody on the on this session has created any of those. Yes.
1: <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. We don't know. But um, that would be the PMO practitioner and PMO leader courses. Of course, there are others out there. But I think that the fact that uh, ours, the one by one, has been created by people who have PMO experience, so it is by PMOs, for PMOs, I think that definitely makes a difference on knowing what the real challenges are,
0: not just what's in the textbook. I would agree. I'm mean, a practical experience. There is no substitute for that. I want exactly. to go back to kind of the beginning here. You mentioned your book, and you, for those who were on audio, you couldn't see it, but here on our okay. Zoom, Marissa held it up, so we got to see her book, Bedtime Stories. It is. Um, how it, Again, this to me is that, that creative piece that helps make you an influencer, right? Taking something as familiar as fairy tales in bringing project management into that to make it be relatable, so that I can personalize it and experience it my way. Mm-hmm. How does that? How does that book come to be? And and give us a maybe an example or two of a story that you utilize in the book.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you for for that feedback. I'm not sure if this what makes me an influencer, but it certainly was one of my uh, first creative moments. <laughs> so that's why so the book was born in 2016. And uh, I just felt research search to, um, to share more with the others what um, a different way of looking into projects. It was one of my training experience. So I remember that I was uh, shadowing um, one of my colleagues, a more senior uh, trainer at the time. And this was um, in Portugal a couple of years ago. And he was telling me this story about the stone soup, which is formerly um, known in Portugal, it may not be in other countries, but it's all about building a soup just by starting with a stone. Sorry, not building, doing the soup. So you start with the stone and then you say, oh, let's. Uh, this is nice, but let's put a bit of salt. And then someone will bring, a salt, will bring salt. Let's put a bit of potatoes. And someone will bring potatoes. Oh, this would be really good if you now bring some carrots. And by the end, you will have a soup, not realizing that you could make it uh, without having the, the ingredients to start with. And, and he always told this story when he was talking about scope creep. And I think that's a very clever way of explaining what Scope creep is about in projects. And then I started wondering, could, could there be other stories that we could relate to project management? And then I started my own quest of trying to find those stories. So the book has 10 stories at the moment. Some of them would be, for instance, in Paris, New, New Clothes, um, which I hope is familiar to, to yep. everyone. I think this one is a bit more international, which is about the king, that uh, has these new clothes um, by a very uh, renowned tailor. And um, it is so specialist, so nice clothes. And actually what you find out in the end is the impairer is naked. <laughs> and he's so convinced that he has the more fine clothes up there. And uh, the way how we relate or how, how I related it to project management was around business cases. How sometimes business cases in the facade they are so pretty. The project is going to deliver so much benefits and it's going to cost so a uh, few um, dollars. And in reality, what we have is a project that doesn't have legs to, to, to stand up to run. Um, so uh, we talk of, I talk about the optimism bias in there, for instance, also the planning policy and just some guidelines on what to, um, to do or how to build a solid business case. Then... Other stories that uh, would be more familiar to people are, for instance, say, um, the red uh, Little Red Riding Hood. Mm-hmm. So that one talks about the importance of the critical path <laughs> and not deviating from that critical path, quite important there. Or, say, the Three Little Pigs. So that one talks about risk management. And also, it can also be applied to estimating, actually. So it talks about three points estimators, as one of the tools that you can consider. And then also the importance of thinking what is the most likely scenario but then what could go wrong? Um, the wolf sheep's exploding. That's when it's about quality assurance, watermelon reporting as well. So it brings, I hope, fresh ideas, even to people that are um, that are well-established, well-knowledgeable in project management. And for people that are new to project management, I think it makes an easy start on what project management is about. Ultimately, even if you don't learn anything from it, you can still just enjoy the stories, go back to your childhood, or read it to your children. So it works for everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and and I love that. When we talk to clients, we try not to talk in project management language, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. So it'd be like, like an engineer coming to my house to tell me some electrical work that needed to get done. If they spoke in their language, I couldn't understand it. There are so
1: many acronyms <laughs> in like management.
0: Yeah. So many. So it helps with that. And and so I think again, this goes back to being relatable, right? It's putting mm-hmm. our profession into a language or into a situation that other people can personalize.
1: It's the stories, Joe, that we started this conversation with, not just the stories about project management, but about ourselves, making ourselves relatable and making project management relatable to people. Definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah and maybe you have the same experience. You know, my parents still, you know, I'm 53 years old. And my parents have no idea what I do because I tell them I'm a project manager and they, in their world that doesn't compute, right? They don't understand what a project manager does. I work with computers. That's the what they say. Yeah, same for <laughs> me. My parents still think I work with computers. I call me all the like, time. Can you come fix my computer? I'm like, no, I don't exactly. I do not do anything with a computer. <laughs> well, Marissa, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I believe it's uh, late in your evening over there. Um, I'm getting
1: ready for dinner. <laughs> yeah.
0: So thank you so much for for coming on and joining us and helping to share your story. Thank so you. that others can uh, to learn from that.
1: No, it was um, a pleasure. Thank you, Joe.
0: Before we wrap up, just any last thoughts you have or how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more uh, mm-hmm. about what you have going on?
1: Yes, of course. I would say that the best way to get in touch with me is by LinkedIn. So that's one of the areas that I'm more active on. So you can find me by searching for the Lucky PM. Uh, you can also contact me via email. So that, can I send my email? Is sure, okay? of course. Yeah, <laughs> So that is Marissa, just one S, dot .silva, the most uh, Portuguese surname ever, at Wellington, with an E at the end, dot go, dot UK.
0: Well, Thank you again. It's been fantastic to have you on. And, and certainly thank you to all of our listeners, right? Uh, I say this every show, but we're fortunate. If you don't have listeners, then you don't have a show. So uh, thank you for coming back and downloading our episodes and hearing what we have to say. I put out on LinkedIn, we've we've gone over the 40 million downloads mark, which in four years' time still blows me away, and, and it's only because we have guests like Marissa Silva joining us, so it's fantastic. Uh, our upcoming guests, we're still fortunate to keep this great lineup coming, Ricardo Vargas uh, will be joining us, Fatima Abuchi uh, will be coming back on for a repeat performance from her. Then we're going to be having uh, Sam Sibley and Matt Hubbard are coming on to talk about the PMI Citizen Developer Program. Uh, which I think is going to be an interesting discussion. Um, And then, of course, we'll finish out the year with a few more shows. And then we'll be into season five, uh, which blows my mind to think that I'm still doing this five years after we started. A reminder to everyone that these shows, while they're live, they're also being recorded. So please subscribe to Project Management Office Hours podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your platform of choice may be. Thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. That's it for now. Office Hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry
1: leaders share their story and secrets to success.